midnight, no, it's 10 o'clock in beautiful Tel Aviv, Israel. Welcome to Taxi TV Live. <laughs> wow, just had a little meltdown on the old audio a minute ago. Let me get the chat room open, make sure we've got everybody over there. Hello, people in the chat room. Let me make sure I've got video playing over here. And where's my face? There's my face. All right. All is good in video land. Hello, everybody. Yes. Um, okay. Anyway, today we are going to give you guys some real insight into how the taxi industry's listings come to taxi in the process each listing goes through from start to finish with an emphasis on how they're written. And that's why Bria is joining me from beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. I can't say Louisville like she does. Hello, Bria. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Great. Uh, all right. So anyway, um, and I see her dad, Neil McTavish, in the chat room. Hello, Neil. Um, Bria's been writing our industry listings for the last couple of years, and she joined the staff taxi staff several years ago uh, with kind of a perfect pedigree. She's a singer-songwriter who is a taxi member herself starting in her teens. Bria and her dad, Neil McTavish, were longtime road rally attendees and became friends of the staff because they were so did so much valuable volunteer work at the rally for several years. Then one day, I got a call from this young lady said, I'm moving to LA. Do you have any openings at taxi? And I said, gee, I love you, but we can't hire you because we're friends with you and you're a taxi member and we don't hire friends and we don't hire members. Um, but we did have a road rally coming up pretty soon and we did need some extra manpower, woman power, people power uh, to help us do the outbound phone call saying, hey, don't forget the road rally is coming up. So I said, tell you what, Bria, yes, we can give you work for a couple of months when you get here doing phone calls. And she said, great. Well, wouldn't you know it, she really hit the ball uh, out of the park. Everybody on the staff loved her. Um, the members loved her. She started fielding the occasional member services call. And pretty soon we just said, oh, hell with the rules. Let's, uh, let's hire her. So she had to relinquish her taxi membership. And uh, she joined the staff. Was that five years ago, maybe? Uh almost six actually over six because it was 20 october of 2015. wow anyway yeah. so yep <laughs> worked out really well we've been really fortunate to have her on the staff love working with her uh, and she brought something to the job that uh, hardly anybody else could because she'd been a member herself and she'd been to a bunch of road rallies so she'd experienced taxi from both sides of the fence um, but then she broke my heart by marrying some dude named Jacob. And she moved back to, uh, well, to Kentucky, actually, not Indiana. And, uh, mm -hmm. but then we uh, hired Bria again shortly thereafter. I mean, she was like out of work for about three days, I think. Um, <laughs> we hired her to uh, split her time between writing the listings and working on marketing stuff with me. And it's been really wonderful. Um, she is a great partner to work with, and she does a really good job writing the listings. So before we get into the secret sauce of what Bria does in writing those listings, I'd like to start uh, by letting you guys know how we get the listings, because people always ask that question. So 
they call us, they email us, um, they meaning uh, production music libraries, music supervisors, record labels, what have you. They reach out to us by email or phone. Sometimes we look at genres that are slow and we reach out to them. I mean, I think I've told the story before that several years ago, I was look. Uh, I, I spent an inordinate amount of time listening to library music uh, on the sites of our clients. And sometimes I'll pick up the phone and call them and say, you know, your orchestral stuff sounds a little dated. Samples are a lot better now. And you guys might think about jazzing up your orchestral stuff a little bit. And they go, oh, that's a great idea. I hadn't even thought about that. So we do that not only in orchestral, but in many genres. And um, so that's another way that listings come to us. Uh, let's see, uh, looking at my own type notes here. Sometimes we, oh, this is something that I've been known to do quite often, is that I'll be watching a show, usually like the History Channel on a Saturday or something on Discovery, and in the credits I see a music library that I don't know, but I thought the music was really good in the show. So I'll make a note and I'll email that music library or hand it off to Tom, who's our head of A&R at Taxi, and he'll reach out to them. Sometimes I'm dealing with a particular music library and they've got international distribution. I can look at who their international partners are and I'll hand that off to Tom and he'll reach out to them. And so that's what we do to like keep the river flowing as it were. Um, and then they just reach out to us and say, this is what we need. Um, we also do send out emails. Tom sends out emails um, on a very regular basis, kind of reminding our existing clients, uh, do you need anything? Uh, we do the taxi compilations, which I think most of you watching today's show are, are well aware of. The compilations, by the way, um, gosh, who was it? Oh man, it wasn't Dean Crepain. I can't remember, but somebody recently told me they got three deals. They had something on a taxi compilation that we sent out. Do you remember who it was, Bria? I think it was Keith uh, LeBrant. You're right. It was Keith LeBrant got three deals as a result of having one instrumental track on one of our compilations. And the reason we send out the compilations, yay, it's great when our members get deals because of it, but we also do it because we want to impress the libraries and, and kind of remind them that we're here and we've got great music. So it's a little, you know, poke in the ribs. Hey, don't forget about Taxi um, and, and the bonuses that our members get deals. Um, uh, the other thing we do is just developing relationships over time with supervisors, not just a, hey man, want to hear some great music? Because that doesn't work. They've got a million people doing that. But, you know, um, sometimes it takes years to develop a relationship. Um, uh, I'm not going to mention names because I don't want people who aren't courteous taxi members to watch this video and then go reaching out to supervisors. But some of these people, some supervisors I've known for four, five, six, seven years before they ever ran a listing with us. Um, but it pays to so just hang in there and be their friend in a genuine way because you like them and eventually they'll need something and they reach out. So that's it. Um, Oh, and I want to explain how we vet the companies we work with, because that's an important part of this as well. People often say, well, yeah, you know, Taxi rejected something of mine. I got it in a library on my own. But then when I find out what the library, <laughs> Bri is smiling because she knows this, <laughs> the drill. Uh, 
and I reach out to these people uh, or yeah, find out which library they got in. And it's like, oh man, like anybody can get in that library. So yeah, it's great to be able to crow about, say, oh, I got my music, you know, signed by a publisher, I got it in a library. But you want to be in a quality library, a quality library that's got great clients, that works with great shows, gets great placements, as opposed to, no, I'm not going to say it. Anyway, um, I thought better of saying that. Actually, kept my mouth shut for once. <laughs> anyway, so we, we vet the companies by, first of all, looking at their website. Um, and then if it's a, a company that's been around for a long time, we'll Google them and look at other press releases or articles that have been written about them or interviews about them. Um, sometimes it's as simple as, oh yeah, I've seen that name come up on the History Channel a bunch of times or on Discovery. But we do vet them and, and we also want to know about the types of deals they offer. Because just because they've got placements doesn't mean that their deal is awesome and we want to know that it is. So we thoroughly check them out and as I've said before, there are times where in any given month we might turn down more companies uh, than we actually end up working with because we're really picky. So that's a good thing for you guys. You don't have to worry about the libraries we work with. So Bria, um, do you want to explain the whole process? I think one time before I, I figured out that there are like 16 steps the, in the life of a taxi listing um, that it goes through for everything from outreach to yeah. ingestion, all that stuff. So do you want to explain those steps and then we'll get into the writing. And while you're explaining that, I'm going to reach about five feet behind me, grab the cup of coffee I made so I can stay awake for the show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Would you? Okay. So um, there's a ton of steps that go into making the listings. Um, and getting them out there. So first, you know, obviously, like Michael said, we do that outreach. Um, that's not me personally that does that. I work on just the writing part. But um, what happens is, you know, Tom on our team will uh, send me what the clients are asking for. And I will get back to him with any questions I have um, with, you know, more clarification, maybe like maybe they said that they want um, punk rock and they sent something that is not punk rock, you know, stuff like that. We want to make sure we're getting them what they want. Um, and uh, deal points oftentimes, if it's a new client, we'll ask that. Or, you know, if they want male or female vocals or just male or just female. Um, time lengths for instrumentals and cues is also another one that, that um, I will ask a lot. Um, but once I have all that info, it gets ingested into our system. So we put it onto, we have a backend that has all of these different steps. Um, uh, and a back, uh, oh, slow down there. <laughs> yeah. a, back, a backend meeting uh, a private database that's for the taxi staff. And that's where all this yes. stuff goes. Okay. Yeah, it goes in the database. And then um, when it's time for me to write, I move it into the next stage, which is we called we call composition and I will write it. Um, so once I'm done writing it, it uh, gets moved by Tom into a, a um, place called first proofing. Um, so it gets a listing number attached to it and a uh, deadline date. And then um, what I will do is go in and do a first, a really thorough first proof 
And then after that, um, two other people on our staff. So Eric uh, on our staff goes in and proofs after me and then Tom proofs after him. Once we're all done, we've all had our, you know, say on the listings, make sure that they're nice and polished up. Uh, we send them to Michael. Um, so I batch them up into those. Yeah, <laughs> I batch them up into those emails you get. There's three of them per email. So I send them in those batches to Michael so he can edit them um, and change anything that we got wrong. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, not only it, it's I'm not only looking for mistakes and quite frankly, mm -hmm. um, the longer you've been doing this and the better coordinated the team has gotten, the mistakes are fewer and farther between. But the kind of stuff that I look like look for is because I'm a marketing nut and I love clarity <laughs> of communication. So there's sometimes that Bria and the other guys will put stuff in a listing where I know what they mean and they know what they mean. And frankly, the screeners would probably know what they mean, but I also have to imagine the people reading the listing that some of them are gonna be brand new to taxi and they've never seen a phrase used like that or maybe a word that might be over their heads because they're brand new. Um, so, those are the types of things I'm, I'm more likely to change. But frankly, mm -hmm. Bria has been doing this now long enough and well enough that she's gotten hip to the kinds of changes that I would make and, and her communication skills have gotten really, really good. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah. So yeah. once, sorry, I have a goofy dog behind me. Um, <laughs> once, uh, I'm keeping them in here with me so they don't bark when people walk by out the window because they can't see out the window in here. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so once Michael does his proof, he also adds, you know, the, you know, dear passengers text at the top and he, he writes the subject lines too, just kind of fun. Um, they get sent back to me, then I will schedule the emails through our email provider or whatever you would call it and they get sent to you and then you can submit and then <laughs> I think your dog has COVID I don't know maybe he's just being a go goober um he was snapping really nicely I don't know what happened um yeah so then you know past that I'm kind of out of the loop from that point um and it kind of goes to the rest of the the A&R team really does an amazing job so obviously you submit then you know the screeners will screen and then we do I think next would be checking the critiques um so that's one thing I think people don't realize is we do check um our team does check the critiques too um and then from there, they, I think, check the forwards, one last check, and then they get sent out to you guys and to the clients, obviously. Um, so that's kind of the, the process, I would say. Um, shortening up the end just because that's not really my area of super expertise. But. Um, let's talk about the writing itself, though. When you write, um... Mm -hmm. Do you ever find yourself thinking, oh gosh, when I was a taxi member, I, I wouldn't have understood that sentence I just wrote or I, the, the goals. Did you already, sorry. I have I not gone on over those yet. So I okay, think that so, probably yeah, would be a good Yeah, thing. why don't you go over those and yeah, uh, then we can um, talk while you're talking about them. Yeah. So um, Michael put this in the email that you guys got about the show, but um, the goals of these 
um, listings and writing them. We have three different ones. So uh, one is, and Michael wrote this so beautifully that I'm just gonna read it. Uh, <laughs> to give each and every one of our members the highest proba probability of making a great submission. So we wanna give the members as much information as we can so that way you guys can nail the pitch. Um, second, we wanna give the A&R members, team members accurate and bountiful information to use when they do their job. Um, so the more information they have and the more parameters that they have, it's kind of twofold for you guys. It helps you out and it helps them out when they're doing the screening and making sure the client gets what they need. Um, and then, so that kind of goes into the third thing and that's to ensure that the people and companies who trust taxi to find them great music, um, to sign it or license it. Um, so those are the things we, we are, I'm always keeping that in mind when I'm writing them, you know, is this going to get what they need? Is this going to help the members make sure that they get what they need? And is this going to help the screeners? you know, be able to screen so that the clients get what they need as well. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we all at Taxi, we get so excited whenever when people get signed and forwarded and stuff. So for us, we want to help you every step of the way and make sure that we are equipping you. We're equipping you with the info that you need um, to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, that's the goals. I can kind of give you a rundown of kind of what I do when I, you know, start writing. Like Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mute Otis. <laughs> He's just laying on his back like this. <laughs> He's a real goofball. He's very cute, but he's a lot. I was wor more worried about my other dog because sometimes she cries if I talk and laugh and stuff, but. I think we're doing okay. She's asleep. Um, so basically, <laughs> here's how the process works. So um, like I said, Tom gives me all that information. So I always have all the information that we have from the client is exactly what I'm putting in the listing. Um, so we'll see what uh, the client, what client is running the listing. And we almost have kind of templates okay come here stop it this is awesome i think this is the first time we've ever had a dog issue on a show <laughs> he's just trying to get attention because i think he's hearing me talking and being like who are you talking to how do you ever um, make a phone call <laughs> i do i don't know he's just i think he just really wants to be a star or something right now but he's off his back so hopefully he's done with that. <laughs> um so basically back to what i was saying um so i will see what client is running the listing and we almost have templates of sorts because for usually from listing to listing from the same client the deal points don't change you know um, how we describe the company doesn't really change, you know, stuff like that. So um, I will grab an appropriate template and make sure that those, you know, points and all of that stuff information is right. Um, and then s next, they usually kind of say, like, uh, oh, I want. I, I want to go back to that previous point, which is, yes, we use templates because the same client, you know, if they ran a listing 30 days ago, not much has changed other than mm -hmm. what they're looking for. But 
Bria and the team also know that if it's a client that hasn't run a listing with us in two or three years, sometimes clients come back after five or 10 years, that they'll ask them, is the deal still the same? So if, it, if, if it's recent, there's not much reason to check up on that, but that's how thorough we have to be, is to make sure, okay, same company, same person, the company that we've always spoken to, but we haven't worked with them in a time, you know, in quite some time, have your deal points changed. So there you go, sorry to yeah. interrupt. That, that happens a lot and recently we have had some, you know, clients come back after a while and we've had to, you know, update um, their deal points and stuff, but we always want to make sure that it's right because we don't want you guys to get your stuff forwarded to them and then it's not the same deal. Right. Because it doesn't Oops. make anybody look good. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, yeah, so from there, what I will do is figure out what like the first line of the listing is. You know, that's kind of what ends up in your email inbox, the little headline, I guess, if you if you want to call it that. Um, usually the client will say like, I want top 40 style pop instrumentals or whatever. So that makes it pretty simple. But obviously we try and switch up the language a little bit sometimes. So we do try and switch up the language a bit um, just so that it's not the same, you know, top 40 pop every time. So I might say modern mainstream pop, you know, or whatever. Um, but that kind of lays the framework for how the rest of the listing is going to get written. Um, so from there, if the client has per provided references, which is my favorite because it saves me a lot of time, um, those I will get the links to and drop them into the listing. Um, so they're all ready to go. But if they don't, or they only gave me one and said, oh, you find two more or something like that, um, then I will go um, and gather more. Um, so depending I, on what kind of, sorry, go ahead. I, I have a question about that. So I remember back when I used to write listings in the very early days of Taxi that it was not uncommon for a client to say, I want this genre of music and here's my reference. And the reference and the genre that they said they wanted didn't line up. Do you still see that and how often, if so? Uh, I, I would say definitely we do see that. I'm trying to think of a specific and, uh, example right now. It doesn't happen like a crazy often, um, but sometimes it'll be slightly different. Like they will name something in a specific way um, and then we'll, we'll maybe slightly tweak how it's written. Um, I think it's a good example. Oh, um, say like we got something where someone wants uplifting pop, but the the songs maybe have a little bit of an R&B edge or maybe have, you know, kind of funkiness. So what I'm going to do is I'm like, well, these kind of are very, I kind of see the thread that goes in between them. So um, I hear funky notes and everything. I hear it's kind of indie pop. So that's, I, you know, would maybe call that fun, funky, indie pop. And then right in the listing somewhere that like, you know, they want stuff that's emotionally up, uplifting or emotionally, um, yeah, emotionally uplifting. So that'll be kind of a good example. But sometimes, yeah, they'll say, oh, we want, what's a good example? Like, uh, like indie pop versus indie pop rock, you know, very fine line between yeah. those two. And it might just be something as simple as 
Uh, one might have a guitar that's more like bell tone like and the other one might have a guitar that's a little crunchier and distorted. And, and it's a tough call. I mean, a lot of these genres, the, uh, the, the lines between them are very blurry and very gray. So yes. it's not uncommon for us to have to reach back out to the client, especially more so with libraries than I think with supervisors or labels, mm -hmm. and, and say to the library owner, are you looking for that genre? Are you looking for something that would be on a playlist with that reference you gave me? And they go, oh, reference, you know, that definitely go with the mm -hmm. reference. So then we'll change the name of the genre because what they were really looking for was indie pop rock versus indie pop. Um, yes. All, all true statements, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I mean, yeah, that happens a lot. I guess an example, too, might be, you know, something where someone says, oh, I want uh, modern rock. And they're all like stomp, clap, like kind of bluesy right. references. So I will, you know, write it as stomp, clap you know, rather than, cause I, I want, again, we're trying to give you guys the, the info that's going to help you nail the pitch. So I want to give them what they want, not what, you know, uh, it's, that's not the best way to say it, but I want to give them what they actually want, what, not what they, <laughs> they, they want. accidentally <laughs> told me they want, even though they do want something else, they just didn't have the right words for it. And I think that happens. I mean, uh, I, I think Mary Ramos during the rally said even that, you know, the sometimes the directors don't even know what they want. <laughs> so they have to, you know, kind of figure out and, and really put their their um, nail on it um, or their, their thumb on it for what they're actually asking for. <laughs> I always found that one of the reasons that happens is many of the library owners actually know each other. Uh, and, and so one library owner may say to another one, uh, man, have you been getting a lot of requests for indie pop lately? And, and the other library goes, uh, no, not that much. Then they pick up the phone and call us and go, run some listings, find me some indie pop, um, because they know it's a hot genre for another library, but they don't really know what indie pop is sometimes. Um, I, yeah. I, frankly, I don't know anymore between indie pop, you know, some of the other subgenres where the, the lines are blurred. I would have to do the research. They oftentimes don't do the research and then just assume that we're going to do the research so we have to catch them and make sure that we're not making a mistake because of bad information we got from them and i always yes. found that they were very appreciative when when we like totally. put a put a net under them to make sure they actually get what they're looking for as opposed to what they asked for mm -hmm. another thing too that sometimes happens is they'll send you know a bunch of links and say i want stuff like this and then we just kind of have to decide what, what what is this you know if it's a specific especially when it comes to like um film and tv uh instrumental stuff um so maybe it was they want uh i want tarantino-esque rock um uh which is really kind of surf rock you know so that kind of right. stuff you know giving you guys the the tools because i mean sometimes we have in the past though just used tarantino-esque because that really you know captured what what the vibe was that they wanted it means um, there's going to be a lot of blood on the tracks. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, um, yeah, finding references is probably one of the most time-consuming part parts of the job. 
Um, so, you know, depending on the listing, I will go to Apple Music, I will go to Spotify. Um, and you really have to, I've learned, I know a lot more music than I did when I started the job, just because I have to know these, you know, it, it saves you a lot of time if you kind of already know where to look for um, these references for specific genres that we've already written listings for. Um, do you, how hard is it for you to stay on course with the references? Um, and I mean, it, it, I, I know how much work it is. I, I want you to tell these guys how much work I would imagine that you could spend half an hour to an hour, maybe on a really tough one, even more than that for just one listing, because, you know, if you type into YouTube or Spotify, indie pop rock, you're going to get such a wide range of stuff within that genre. But we're trying to find yeah. something that's not only in the genre, but maybe matches the tempo of the first reference we were given by the company. Uh, maybe the attitude of the vocal is an important aspect. Maybe the they're looking for an emotionally happy melody versus a darker melody. Um, mm -hmm. All those little nuances that will ultimately make the end user client really happy. So you really have to work. People, people I don't yeah. think understand that you can't just type into a search engine, indie pop rock and go, okay, there's two more, boom, done. Yeah, I mean, a specific example I can think of is that we ran a listing recently. It was for R&B songs that weren't like alternative R&B songs, or it might have just been regular R&B, it doesn't matter, that didn't have romantic lyrics, which is not surprisingly very hard to find. <laughs> so, right. you know, finding these upbeat R&B songs that weren't like about love, it's it, it was a it, that was a really tough one. And that's one thing I will say, the rest of the A&R team is such a help because if I hit a wall on something like that, I will often reach out to Tom, to Eric, to, you know, whoever else is on the team at the time. And I will say, hey, guys, like, I have no idea what to do here. Anybody got any ideas? Um, and then there will be sometimes, too, that there's a genre that they know really well. So um, I might just go straight to them and be like, hey, do you got a couple that you think would work for this, you know, if it's not a genre that I know really well. Um, like, for example, our uh, Eric on our team is like, knows metal really well. <laughs> so I'll ask him for like metal references and stuff. So um, and or I'll be like, hey, is this actually um, right? Just because especially with like metal, there's so many subgenres and metal heads are very picky about it. Um, which they have every right to be, um, but it's good for me to be able to run these references by someone that knows the genre so well so they can tell me, okay, yeah, these are the right ones. Um, um, do you ever reach out to some of the screeners who are expert in certain genres and hit them up for opinions or advice as well? Yes, yeah, we will do that. Um, especially I can think of uh, one guy that's like super knows jazz really well. Um, because jazz is another one where it's lots of subgenres, and you have to be careful that you're saying things right because we don't want to lead people astray. Um, so we will ask, like, um, I can think of a listing recently, I don't know if it's out yet or not, where we had to ask a screener, hey, what kind of music is this? It was one of those things where it was like a Tarantino-esque thing or whatever, um, and he was able to give us a kind of something that we could call that kind of music. Um, and it was jazz related, so. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you go that extra mile or <laughs> however you would turn that phrase. Because especially with a genre like jazz, it te jazzers tend to be really knowledgeable about their genre mm -hmm. and very intelligent and sometimes a little bit like uh, elitist about their genre, if you will. Not all, but some. And uh, they have no problem sending us emails going, you guys don't mm -hmm. know what the hell you're talking about. So yeah, we have to, not only do we, you know, have the three goals of giving you guys the best opportunities, giving the end users, our clients, mm -hmm. the, the best music, and then creating listings that you understand and the screeners understand. But um, we don't want to look like we have egg on our face. So we have to go to e extremes to make sure that we get it right. We can't be sloppy in our work. Yeah, totally. Um, and again, like we don't want to we want to make sure that we're writing things right so that we can make sure that you can get your stuff forwarded, you know, so that you can pitch well. Um, I think, I think Otis needs a doggy downer. Yeah, I think so too. Hey buddy, <laughs> why don't you sleep, lay down? <clears throat> oh no, I see jazz, jazz Stan gave me a harump on my comment about jazz guys being a little elitist. You know what no. I'm saying, Stan. It's just well, they're super knowledgeable. It's not like, you know, three chord rock and roll. Um, yeah. Ja jazz guys are smart. What can I say? Yeah. Well, and you guys have every right to be. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I will say, though, like for specific uh, things, especially if it's a genre that I'm not as familiar with. Um, it's awesome to go to Spotify, especially has really specific playlists and stuff. So, um, you can find really niche. There's people that, you know, they're obsessed with such and such genre that's super niche and you can find those playlists that they've created and, and, and yeah. it can be really helpful. Obviously I have to do my research after to make sure it's actually correct. Cause, um, you know, I, I'm not just going to trust some random person making a playlist on the internet, but. Um, usually it can help me out a lot. Um, and then for like reality TV stuff, so like dramedy cues, um, stuff like that, that can take a while because I might just watch a bunch of clips from, you know, uh, keeping up with the Kardashians or, um, you poor like, kid, you know, housewives. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and I just go through until I hear something. I'm like, oh, that's a great cue. And so then I take those timestamps and then we put stuff in the listings for you guys um and that's good too because then you can kind of contextualize um the stuff in in context um so after i have the references um then i will write what i call the meat of the listing so it's that paragraph that goes under the references and there's sometimes stuff under there you know like taxi tips and stuff um and, uh, you know, if there's language that we've used in the past that I think applies, you know, sometimes I'll go and grab that, you know, um, and uh, uh, I might steal it, is what I will say from other That's things. That's okay. And then, it's kosher to steal from yourself. Yeah, there you go. So, um, but for the most part, I will write everyone pretty fresh. Um, so that way, because I, I don't like things to just be always the same words and descriptive words all the time. So 
Um, I'll listen to references to really get in the frame of mind. I might take quotes from um, what the client has said and asked for. I might, um, uh, what else? Oh, oh, if I notice there's something that um, is a, could be a really useful tip, you know, um, something that I think could, you know, help put people's pitches over the edge, we might put in as like a taxi tip. Um, so, you know, if it's orchestral, I might be like, you know, make sure that your um, articulations are really good. Um, or, you know, if it's a specific thing, it might be like, oh, listen to how the references incorporate like arpeggiated stuff or stuff like that, that I think might, you know, give them some extra oomph to help them out a little bit. Um, but again, it's back to those three goals. We want to make sure that, you know, you guys are able to pitch your best stuff and it's, you can target it really well. We want to make sure screeners have stuff that they need to be able to critique your stuff well, and then the clients get what they need. So that's kind of what all goes into the writing. Bria, I want to let you know that a couple of people in the chat have said, I really like the taxi tips. And I want those of you watching the show to know that we kind of all contribute to those. It's like mm -hmm. literally, Tom brings in the listings, puts in the information, Bria writes the meat of the listing, but it, the listings get seen by Tom, Eric, Bria, and me. Four of us see the listing, so any of us could add a tip. It might be, yeah, you know, like don't use, um, no string players use a 30-foot bow, so get your articulations <laughs> together. Um, anyway, I think all of us feel good about writing the tips. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes, like, I, I don't know if you guys do it between you or amongst yourselves, but I'll write a tip sometimes and reach out to Brie and Tom and say, so I added this, do you guys think this is cool? So we go to extraordinary lengths to give you guys mm -hmm. every possible leg up yeah and i mean when i'm proofing too i'm i'm reading to make sure have i you know included everything that the the members need to know is there anything that maybe i left out that's down in the you know notes that we had maybe a specific note that the client said and i'm like oh i forgot that so i'll throw that in there so we're always you know making sure that that the stuff the info that the clients give us makes it to you obviously um and helps you out i want to take a couple questions real quickly here before we um move forward and then eventually we're going to open this up to a lot of questions um super blonde wants to know are there any listings which ever say broadcast quality not required because if not why say broadcast quality required and that goes back to something i said earlier which is not everybody, not every member is fully informed yet or very experienced yet, or they may not know. You've been around long enough now, Super Blonde, to know that if we didn't include broadcast quality needed, um, you would know that that's a correct assumption. Somebody who's new, who is new, wouldn't. And if the screener returned it because it wasn't broadcast quality, we can't, can't then say, well, it said broadcast quality in the listing. But yeah, on rare occasions, there are listings where they don't want broadcast quality. Maybe they want something that just sounds bad for some crazy reason, like an out of tune garage band that's playing in the background of a coming of age, 13 year old skateboard kid movie, you know, the kid's going down the sidewalk, whizzes by a garage with his friends playing mm -hmm. 
you know, in a literally in a garage band, and they want something that sounds doesn't have great fidelity, it's not in tune, it doesn't sound great. But anyway, so that's that. And Casey Hurwitz said, uh, oh, I like this comment. Thanks, Casey. If you don't think taxis listings are great, try the outside world. You'll never get briefs like this anywhere else. And thank you for saying that, because we actually have had um, like supervisors working on indie films uh, where we want to make sure we get it right and we will run the listing by them saying, does this accurately describe what you're looking for? And they write back and go, whoa, dude, your briefs are incredible. I wish that, you know, I could write briefs like that. We've had supervisors say that probably three or four times in the last couple of years, at least to me, I don't know if the other staff members get it. So yeah, we just go to extraordinary lengths that other people in the industry don't because they're not really getting paid to do it. You guys are our clients and we want to give you the absolute best shot at nailing a, a listing that we can. Anyway, um, all right. Uh, One where, thing to add yeah. to the broadcast quality comment too. I think you always say as well that, you know, broadcast quality is different depending on the context too. Yep. Um, so, you know, if it's something where it's, you know, Bob Dylan with slightly pitchy vocals or whatever, you know, if that was an Ariana Grande record, that would not be broadcast quality because it's got to be pristine, you know, so it kind of changes. And then, you know, if it's uh, vintage stuff, it might be era appropriate broadcast quality or, um, you know, some of our vintage people even just take good demos or masters and it's not really broadcast quality at all. So we will always say, obviously, in the listing, whether we need that or not. Um, another thing we'll always say, um, whether we need or not, is, oh my gosh, I just lost it. Um, one thing, oh, if we're looking for covers, we will say so. I think that sometimes people will submit covers to uh, listings that don't say that we're looking for covers. Um, that's a no-no. Uh, if we say we're, we want covers, we will put that we want covers. Um, but sometimes on like Christmas listings or stuff that, um, specifically Christmas, we'll make sure to write like original on there. So that way, you know, there's no confusion just because I think that's something where people will get confused. But um, if it doesn't say we want covers, we don't want covers. <laughs> yeah, also, um... Another thing we do, just to show what great lengths we go to, is we know from our experience the things that members will miss, that won't read carefully, that won't pay attention to, and they'll be pissing away $5 on a submission because they didn't notice certain things in the listing. So we will use all caps on those words, um, we'll bold sections, we'll do important, nope, colon, and, you know, and then put whatever is after it in bold. So we also, all of us pay attention and we catch each other. It's like one, one person, like maybe when Bria was writing the initial uh, listing, she didn't think that aspect was so important or maybe she was so concerned about getting the references right, maybe she didn't emphasize that section. So maybe Tom or Eric or myself will later. So we just do all this stuff to make sure that you guys not only are getting great information, but that you don't make mistakes because you read too quickly or not thoroughly enough. 
totally. And we'll, you know, bold things, you know, all caps, all that stuff. Um, we will make sure to make it very clear. At least we try to make it as clear as possible on things. Absolutely. All right. Continue A. Is there more? <laughs> I think that we were on questions. So I mean, oh, I, you, I, I, I took mean, a couple, but um, if you've got more to do. Yeah, um, I think I kind of have gone through. I mean, that's kind of how, how it works for me. Um, okay. Um, I can talk a little bit more about the subject lines. Um, hmm. Let's see, how do you teach a class in three minutes on subject lines? Um, as many of you know, I'm a marketing nut. I love marketing even more than marketing in the broad general sense. I love copywriting because it's a fun game for me to write good headlines and subject lines or good first sentences that get people's attention. Not unlike writing a song where the, you know, the first line of a song should be good enough that people want to stick with it and not hit the next button on their car radio or the, you know, not, not the car radios have a next button so much anymore, but the skip button. Um, so I will make sure that what Bria has written in the first line of the listing not only gives an accurate description, but is sexy, you know, in like it makes you want to read the second sentence. And she's got that down to a science now. I, Rarely, like maybe once a month, we'll have to update one of those or edit it. Um, pretty rare. But the subject lines are extremely challenging because um, I want to let people know in the subject line what the genres are in today's batch. And the logic behind that is, okay, we probably have some singer-songwriters out there. We probably have some rock people out there. Uh, and yes, we probably have some jazz people out there. So in a perfect world, I can get singer-songwriter, um, indie rock, uh, or classic rock, whatever form of rock they're looking for, um, and jazz. But then when you start adding singer-songwriter, if I try to put adjectives in there, like emotionally uplifting singer-songwriter, well, that's a whole subject line right there for the number of characters it is. Um, so it's really, really, really challenging to write stuff that's informative, um, attracts people to reading the subject line, gets them to open the emails so that they can really find out what the listings are asking for and find out if there's something that they should be submitting for because we don't want people to miss a golden opportunity because we did a bad job of writing a subject line. So. Lately, I've been doing a little more like, uh, rather than listing the genres, I'll go with a broad, gen general, but impactful subject line, like three brand new listings you really don't want to miss. Because I feel like more people are going to pay attention to that than just the, the rock people, um, the singer-songwriters, and the jazz people. Then again, there are certain genres like singer-songwriter where I know a lot of people will want to submit to a singer-songwriter listing. So sometimes I'll write uh, singer-songwriters needed by major label because everybody who's a singer-songwriter would love to get one of their songs cut by an artist on a major label or get signed to a major label as a singer-songwriter. So that's the headline right there. But I've got two other genres to deal with, so I'll do plus two more genres. 
So that's a bit of a throwaway and it pains me to do that all the time, but I know that the biggest percentage of our audience of readers of these subject lines, that singer-songwriter is probably the single most attractive thing I can put in there. Um, and, you know, I kind of feel like I need to give it context, like, uh, you know, is it singer-songwriter for a record label? Is it singer-songwriter for a film? Is it sad singer-songwriter? By the way, if we put sad, uh, broken-hearted love songs in a subject line, I know that we'll get a lot of opens. If I put sad singer-songwriter, I know that we'll get a lot of opens. So I don't want to miss those opportunities. And by the way, it helps us as a company. The more opens we get on an email and the more clicks we get, um, the email service providers and the recipients like Google servers before it gets to your um, Gmail box, they look at those metrics. So not only do I have to give you guys the best information that I can in a subject line, I also want to get you to perform well for us so that Google treats our emails well so that more of our emails land in your inbox rather than your promotions tab or your promotions box. So it serves everybody's best interest that you just love my subject lines and open those emails and click those links. <laughs> anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. I mean, I know I think you wanted to talk about a little bit about how the screeners get submissions and the type of information they have. Yes, um, absolutely. Well, um, Otis, you are going to doggy daycare and we might not ever let you out. <laughs> anyway, uh, bring Otis up here for a minute. Let's let everybody see Otis or really get out of control okay. if you bring. I'm, I'm toggling my mic so he's not so loud. Come here. Come here, Bubba. Yeah. You want to be a part of the show? Oh, stretch it out. He's a big 60 pounder. <laughs> wow. Wow, he's grown a lot. Hey, Otis. Oh, yeah. Hey, Otis. <laughs> Are you distracting yeah. things? Oh. Apparently, the show's not that exciting for Otis. <laughs> yeah, he says, this is lame, Mom. All right, go, sit, go lay down with your sister. Go up there. Anyway, um, so what was the question again? Uh, I got uh, all. So uh, how how screeners get the submissions and oh, okay. when they go through the critique. Yeah, people often ask, you know, uh, if, I, if I'm one of the first submitters, will the screeners screen mine first? And I think that people hope that if they're amongst the first people to get listened to, that they've beaten the competition over the, you know, over the transom, so to speak. And it doesn't work that way because there is no competition whatever meets the quality bar and hits the nail on the head as far as the target gets forwarded. It's not like we go back, you know, on submission 82 and go, wow, this is super good. Wow, this is even better than the one I forwarded on number three. I'm gonna go back and unforward number three so that I can make sure that number 82 gets all the attention. We don't do that at all. Number three and number 82 will get forwarded. Um, and all the songs come to the screeners randomly. Um, they don't know. All they know is I'm working on a listing today. They see the listing, the very same listing that you get, and they have no other inside information with one pretty rare exception. And that is 
that the screener him or herself may have had the friend who's the music supervisor or the label person or whomever, and, and they've known them for 10 years or 20 years. They've got a relationship. They hang out. They've gone to clubs and heard bands together. So they may have kind of an intuitive feeling about, oh, I bet he would really like this song, but it still has to fall within the parameters of what the listing has asked for, but they don't have any other inside information. We get that question quite often from people. Do the screeners know something I don't? Now, it's, it's valuable to know that sometimes new screeners who haven't been around very long will add information that's not in the listing. They may hear something that wasn't a parameter or a request in the listing and they'll add it because they're just trying to be helpful or insightful. And that really upsets the members because the member goes, well, you didn't tell me in the listing that that was an issue or you were looking for that. And the members are right. So frankly, we have to curb that activity from the new screeners who break that rule. It's like, don't judge stuff or critique stuff or bring up aspects of the music that's not spelled out in the listing because it gets people upset. So there yeah. you go. There you go. And uh, one other thing I think you wanted to talk about is what our head screener does. Oh yeah. Uh, the head screener literally checks the work of all the other screeners. Uh, the head screener will go through and look at the critiques. Literally every critique with, a, with an exception. Uh, and here's the exception. If, it's, if a screener brings in a listing, and sometimes they do, because screeners, you know, all these screeners are highly experienced industry people that have been around for a very long time, and they have relationships. And sometimes the people they have relationships with will say to them, hey, by the way, are you still doing A&R at Taxi? Yes, I am. Oh man, that's awesome. Can you find me X, Y, Z? So the screener will then go to Tom and say, hey, Tom, my friend so-and-so, the music supervisor needs, uh, you know, whatever kind of song for a film he's working on right now. Great, so Tom will reach out, get clarification. We write up the listing, go through the whole process mentioned before. There's really no point after the screener, because the screener who brought in the listing is the set of ears that that music supervisor would like to have on that stuff. So there's really no point in us checking the forwards from that screener because, you know, he, he's got entree with that person and has a long-term relationship. So we're not really in position to question his judgment on that stuff. So in those cases, more often than not, we don't need to check, double check the screener's work. However, they will look at the critiques from the perspective of, has, has the screener given enough information? Has the screener articulated the information well? Um, has, sometimes screeners speak in shorthand because they've been around for a very long time and they know. Um, if I'm talking to one of our screeners, we may have a conversation that contains more shorthand than a new taxi member who's never had a forward, never had a, a signing, never had a placement, has never had anything in a library. They don't know the shorthand yet. Sometimes screeners will forget that not everybody knows the lingo or the shorthand. 
And so we have to make sure that they're still not giving cliff notes, but they're giving the full sentence when, need, when it's really needed. We also look at spelling. I mean, frankly, as the owner of the company, it's embarrassing to me that there are times that we've gotten emails from members going, your people are so bad with spelling and punctuation that it just makes your company look bad. So I, I can't deny that they're right. They're absolutely right about that. And then I look at the information in the critique and go, but damn, that was a good critique. They really got to the heart of what this member did and the heart of what the listing was asking for. So if I were the member and I were on the receiving end of this, I would probably tend to overlook the three typos and the two misspelled words. But the members are right. You know what? Uh, it, it's like ordering french fries and not getting ketchup on the side. You look a lot better when you give them the ketchup. Just happened to me last night at a restaurant, by the way. Uh, had to ask for the ketchup. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, anything about that that I left out, Bria? That I, I don't think so. I mean, and, and you talking about typos in... in uh... Uh, the screener's comments just brings me back to the reason why we proof things so much because there'll be so many times where I'll leave out a word or, you know, spell something wrong. Um, so that's one of the big reasons why we proof, proof, proof. <laughs> yeah. It, sure we don't have any typos that make us look bad. <laughs> I mean, little things like Bria may write a sentence that has the word song in it twice. And if you say, read the sentence out loud, it doesn't seem clunky. It seems perfectly readable and speakable. But I'll look at that as a marketing person and go, no, it's breaking one of the rules of copywriting to have the same word in a sentence twice. There are other times where Bria does and I go, you know what, she was right to do it in this context. It just makes more sense. So little things like that. Oh man, I was yeah. just thinking about, oh, I want to, give some advice to our members. Um, it also makes you guys look bad, which we never want to have happen when you send in lyric sheets that don't have the song title matching the actual title of the submission. Mm -hmm. Like there might be a word or two that's different. And this one happens a lot, which is the lyrics in the typewritten lyric are not exactly the lyrics in the song. It, it's not a catastrophe. Nobody's going to say, oh, I love this song. I would love to get Ariana Grande to cut it for her next record. But this person has, you know, the lyrics on the lyric sheet are 5% different than the lyrics that made it to the recording. Nobody's going to say, I'm not going to cut your song on Ariana because of that. But why not look as professional as you can and just mm -hmm. get it right? Double check. Yeah, or people just, you'll write it, copy and paste it in just one like big block instead of like having it, you know, by lines and stuff. Yeah. It's just one oh, yeah. block. Oh, yeah. I, I used <laughs> to hate that when I was a screener. It's like you want to you wanna just like call the person and go, dude, nobody in the industry is going to think you're a professional. If you send 400 words of lyrics in just one big block, um, it's crazy. Yeah. And you know what? Um, break it up, you know, have like mm -hmm. intro, the word intro, V1 for verse one or verse one. 
um, chorus. You know, put those in there just because it makes it easier for, for whoever is reading the lyric to follow it. Yeah, well, and I mean, when they're screening, too, if they know where the chorus is, that helps them know where the chorus is in the song, too, and kind of know what's coming as well. So it's important stuff. All right. Um, yeah, I think that we've covered. Uh, I'm really glad that you were able to join us today, Bria, and do this, because I think that people don't understand um, how much work goes into these things, how much craft goes into writing. It's, it's an actual craft. And frankly, it's not a job where you could work elsewhere and get a job working at taxi writing listings. There is no other job out there. Um, I, I remember for the longest time, my wife used to say to me when, when we lost somebody from the company who wrote listings, either my wife or Angel or somebody on the staff would say, well, I've got a friend who's an English lit major and, and they write super, super well. Yeah, but do they know most genres of music? Do they know enough that when they, this is one of Bria's strong points, I believe, is she knows what she doesn't know and is not egotistical enough um, or at all that if, if she doesn't know a genre well, you have to be able to say to yourself, I'm not the best person to, you know, do this and reach out to another member of the staff that is particularly well-versed in that genre or a screener who is. So mm -hmm. it's not just about writing skills. You, you can't learn how to write taxi listings in like English Lit 401 in college. Um, here's a question from Alan Hall. Um, are taxi submissions anonymous to the screeners? Do the screeners know who we are? Yeah, they do know who you are. Um, I mean, I, you know, I've had this question several times over the years, many times actually. Um, there's part of me that feels like it might be a little more comforting to the members if they thought they were anonymous to the screeners. The people who aren't getting forwarded very much would like it to be anonymous because I think in their hearts they believe, or in their minds they believe, oh, the screener knows it's me and they remember that they didn't forward me last time, so they're not gonna forward me this time. They've got it in for me or something like that, or they don't take me seriously yet. See, Bria's laughing about this because she knows that none of this is true. Mm -hmm. um, uh, on the other hand, I think it works in your favor if, if you are somebody who hits the nail on the head quite frequently and the screener sees your name, do I think that they're a little predisposed to like, oh man, that's cool. I love this guy's stuff usually. Um, so, you know, I guess anything could happen. I wouldn't worry about it much. I think it's like less than a 1% factor going either direction, hurting, hurting you or helping you, but they do know who you are. Yes. Um, let's see. Benda Kuna says, thanks for this. Taxi TV is keeping me motivated. Yeah, we want to keep you motivated and more importantly, well-informed. There's so much more to it than just making great music. Um, I'm waiting for another question. And by the way, it's helpful if you type the word question in all caps, just makes it easier to mm -hmm. see. Mary and Laird yeah. trying to think of a great question. 
Uh, Colin Kraft says, apologies for the caps, the knob is stuck. We've all been there. <laughs> I think one question that we'll get a lot um, that's a good one is if I'm reading the listing, do you go based off of the references or go based Whoa. off of what it says? Um, which, I mean, what I would say is when I'm writing, I'm writing them in tandem, obviously, especially if we got the references from the client, which that's another thing that we always put in the listings is if we got it from them, we note that if we didn't, it doesn't say that. Um, so you always know where those, you can tell where the references are coming from. Um, I'm usually writing the body based off of the references. So they are meant to complement each other. Um, so definitely don't just go to the body. You need to listen to the references and listen to all three of them or four of them or however many there are. Because, um, you know, like Michael says, you can often like triangulate um, what we need, what the client needs based off of those. Um, but yes, I guess definitely go based off the references, but I, we write the, the body of it to help and supplement those references to kind of help you triangulate them um, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and it points out things that you might not other rea otherwise realize about the song. Mm -hmm. um, you might not realize that that the lyrics um, are happy lyrics versus sad. You may just be mm -hmm. looking at the overall picture, you know, checking out the tempo and the general tone of it and the attitude and all that stuff. But maybe the lyric uh, having an emotionally you know, upbeat lyric is really important to the client. Maybe that's the most important thing. Um, or maybe yeah. this is a really good example too. Maybe the client sent us references. They're like, we like the vibe of these tracks, but we don't like the lyric content. We want lyric content like this. The, in that case, you can't just go off the references. You need to read the rest of the listing because you'll miss that we said right below it, note, very big letters. Right. Um, you know, the client doesn't want lyrics like these tracks more pay attention to the vibe and the sound of them and this is the kind of you know lyric content we get and we have gotten that a few times so um it's really important to just read the whole thing <laughs> it's not an exaggeration to say that we frequently have screeners shaking their heads um not that i mean now they're working still remotely right now but um, they will tell us, it's like, do these people read these listings or not? Because uh, I would say probably somewhere between two and 5% of all the submissions that come in for a listing that says instrumentals will still get a certain number of people sending in stuff with vocals. Mm -hmm. Even though the very first sentence of the listing says that, um, people just ignore it. And the screeners, it's like, they so desperately want to help you guys. They really do. And it's really, I, I give them a lot of credit because it would be really hard when somebody can't follow the most basic, helpful thing that we're handing them on a silver platter by simply saying they're looking for instrumentals and you still make a submission with vocals. It's hard not to be a bit of a jerk and go, what a doofus, you know, it's like just follow the instructions, please. We're trying to help you in every way we can. Um, and, and then the screeners are stuck now. Geez, what do I do? I'm supposed to be screening instrumentals 
and I'm an expert on instrumentals, but I'm not an expert on hip hop with vocals. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a screener who is an expert on instrumentals, but not on hip hop with vocals, yeah. and they're trying to give you feedback. So sometimes that turns into a critique that you may deem as questionable, but maybe you caused the problem by submitting something with vocals when they asked for instrumentals. So there That's you go. A really there. Good point. Yeah, and um, that does and, happen. Yeah, and I'll say on the flip side, as someone that has been a member, I get it. You're so excited. Like, oh, you know what? I do pop. But you just get so excited about that first line, and then maybe you start to rationalize, be like, well, maybe my song could fit on this playlist and you know and i get it like you know you're so excited uh that you have these opportunities but really read them because it's just gonna cause heartbreak in in the future you know if you submitted something that really didn't fit and i get it i've been there um you know when i was younger my dad and i would submit stuff we'd be like oh this is great you know they want such and such and it definitely was not on target you know and you just get so excited that you start to rationalize so get that rationalization you know oh it might work out of your head just look at it very objectively um and michael always says too it's a good idea you know play those songs on the reference list play your song in with it if it could fit seamlessly on a playlist with it send it in if it doesn't maybe rethink it a little bit you know um, absolutely yeah, but I totally get it. I mean, it's it's very exciting seeing all these amazing opportunities and you're like, ah, but um, yeah, save your stuff for the ones that it fits, you know, or write to what, what we've um, requested. So Andre Stepanian asks a great question here. He says, when a listing says include a photo and bio like the current chill hop listing uh, that's out now, I think he means, um, mm -hmm. does that mean looks matter? or you have to fit the profile and look cool. Well, Andre, you already look cool, so I wouldn't worry about it, dude. But um, that's a really good question. And mm -hmm. um, Bri has heard, this, heard me tell the story a thousand times. Years ago, we had a guy who, who was like shirtless and fairly well tatted up uh, with a guitar strapped on, standing in front of like a six foot road rack full of outboard gear, like, you know, check me out. In his mind, he looked really rock and roll. And I think that he thought people would be so impressed by all the outboard he, he had. That's like, who wouldn't want to sign that guy? He's got a lot of outboard and a bunch of cool tats and he's shirtless. Um, none of that worked in his favor, I'm sure. But yeah, you know, you need to look the part. So Andre, if you feel like you don't look like somebody who would be creating chill hop, then do some sort of artsy fartsy blurry thing where it's like, you know, um, like a blurry shadow of you against the wall, you know, maybe. Um, <laughs> Put some uh, Visco filters on it. Just really throw some yeah. dust on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bria is more graphically oriented uh, than I am. So do you have any great suggestions on uh, how yeah, to make yourself I mean, look chill hop if you're not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're if you're trying to do chill hop, just throw on those filters, man. I would, I would, you know, kind of maybe add some blur a little bit, you know, some lens, you know, uh, flares, stuff like that. 
Um, but I think that also is a good segue into the fact that like, as even as a composer, it's still a really good idea to have good headshots, to have a bio. Um, Cause you never know when someone's gonna ask for it. And then you'll be like, uh, here's a selfie I took on my phone. <laughs> you know, um, it's a good thing to have. You never know um, when it will be useful and it doesn't have to be super fancy. It just needs to be, you know, good headshots. But yeah, having a vibe, you know, a lot of times when we are asking or when the client wants to see those photos and bios, they want to see that you're, you look like he's like Michael says, look the part. So um, yeah, definitely. Um, and I know which listing you're talking about is, and, and I think for that one, they do want someone that really lives and breathes that style um, that it comes very naturally to them. Um, so obviously seeing a photo might help them kind of see that as well, too. I remember when Bria was 15 and submitting to like death metal listings all the time. And she would, you know, like send in photos, twirling her head with the hair flying. Yeah. Um, here, here's a question from, yeah, here's a question from Reed Geesland. Uh, when we get only non-instrumental vocal references for an instrumental listing, should try to find instrumental versions to, should we try, I'm trying, you're missing a word here, Reed, so I'm trying to fill it in. Um, Okay, one more time. When we get only non-instrumental vocal references for an instrumental listing, should okay. we try to find the instrumental versions to refer to, or should we stick to the references provided? So I want to address the issue, and then I'm going to have Bria really answer the question. Um, libraries are often hesitant to give us when they're asking for, you know, like death metal instrumentals, let's say, they've got other death metal instrumentals in their library. Um, frankly, they've always been a little hesitant to just give us that stuff and let us use that as the references. Number one, because it's more work for them to go pick the right one out of their library to give us, or two or three. Um, and there could be problems down the road. First of all, we, we don't want to identify the library because if the public got a hold of the information that it's library A, B, or C, then you know the general public can read our listings. People are just going to go, oh, well, I'm going to submit directly to them. And they're going to get 458 submissions that are, are not going to be very good and not be on target. So they want to be pretty incognito. So it is something that we have to do, which is find songs that are melodically tempo, mm -hmm. uh, like um, production values, all those things are very much like what they want. And you just have to listen to those aspects and not pay attention to the vocal and then know the rules of the road for composing instrumental cues versus songs. So take that song construction out of there, construct it like a cue with all those other elements. Um, Bria, is there anything you want to add to that or did I overlook yeah. anything? No, I think, I think that's a really good answer. I think one thing too, I mean, when we're writing, especially with cues and stuff, I always will write, you know, craft your cues around a central motif um, because I think it's easy to get confused um, with, the songs references that you're like, oh, well, it should be just like a song, but 
you know, we have specifically asked for instrumental cues. Um, and I think for those where it is all um, song references, really focus on their instrumentation, their production, um, how they're, you know, how everything is mixed and stuff. That's really like the meat, the instrumentation, yeah. all of that stuff is what you want to take from that and then form into this awesome instrumental cue or instrumental. Um, we do have one uh, company that we work with that I love because they will, they figured out a way to give us references that are secretive. You've probably seen them because they have a private Dropbox link. You don't know who it's from, um, which I love because then you can really see. Um, yeah, they're showing you exactly, exactly what, they want. what they want. And in the context of a cue versus a song that you have to imagine as an instrumental. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and yeah, we wish all of our clients would do that. But I know personally, mm -hmm. you know, I've got several friends that are close friends of mine that are library owners. And I ask them for that and they're like, oh, yeah, that would be great. And they totally blow me off. Uh, or they come up with a bunch of reasons. The, the bottom line is they're really, really busy. They just don't mm -hmm. want to do the work. I tell them that this other library owner actually will take the time to do the work. And the end result is he gets better submissions. And he's a yes. really picky guy, like really oh, yeah. nitpicky. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure that he gets better submissions and better forwards because he spends that extra half an hour. But most library owners won't invest the time. Um, and I think it's a little sad that they don't. Um, yeah. I had a question here from Richard Stock. Can a screener resend a submission to a different screener for some reason? I've got an answer. I want to see what Bria thinks about this as well, which is screeners are allowed to go to the head screener and say, you know, I was working on that other listing yesterday, and frankly, this is like right on the money for that other one, not so on the money for this one. <clears throat> Did the other one get sent out to the client or already? And if it hadn't, then the head screener will pick up the phone or shoot an email to the member saying, um, screener thinks your song would be better suited for this other listing. Is it okay if we submit it? Because we need your permission for that. All that said, Please do not expect that to happen, that every time you make a submission that the screener is going to find another place to submit it for you. The reason is stars have to line up to make that happen. Mm -hmm. The same screener will have had to work on both listings because a screener who works on listing A on Wednesday probably in the real world isn't working on listing B on Thursday or Friday. So they might not even be aware. And more often than not, the reason that stuff doesn't get forwarded is the genre is just so off target. So the chance of the same screener hearing it, you know, as a possibility for both listings isn't very strong because it's going to be different screeners because of different genres. Anything that you can add to that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he did mention to um, like sending a screener almost passing on reviewing something and having another screener do it. I oh. don't know. That's kind of how I understood the question. You might be right. But you know what? This is two answers for the price of one. Which, there you go. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure that if someone, if a screener wants to like pass and have another screener do it, they can definitely do that. Yeah. All so they have to do is like, hit the skip button. Yeah. 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 Michael knows better than me on that, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm 
yeah, we can do that. So. And, and frankly, the reason that they, probably the most frequent reason that a screener will hit the skip button is they've probably heard that piece of music several times, maybe three, mm -hmm. four times over the past month or two. Some people tend to like love one of their pieces of music and will submit it for everything under the sun. Um, or maybe they're really good at hip-hop and will submit the same hip-hop song, you know, rightfully to a bunch of hip-hop listings. But if the screeners heard it a bunch of times and feel like, feels like they've given as much feedback on that thing as they can give you, um, they'll hit the skip button so that another screener will, will hear it and give you a fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to another one. Tim Harrison says, hi, everyone. I'm really late. That's funny. <laughs> um, scrolling down, scrolling down. Whoa, just did the giant jump where I probably passed 10 questions. Mm -hmm. I hate when that happens. Um, Rick Elliott says, my experiences in most music libraries are terrible, terrible, terrible at communication. Yep, they're busy. Would you rather have them answering your questions and holding your hand? And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Um, or would you rather have them out there getting your music, making money for you? That's the decision that the libraries mm -hmm. have to make. Um, here's one from Ben Kuna. When submitting songs, why do you ask for a picture? Should I be branding each song with a photo? Um, Bria, you want to take that one? Oh, um yeah, you know what? I think it's a good idea to to always drop a photo into the um, when you're uploading a song, just because it looks good on your profile and stuff. Um, and also, it looks good. It also makes my job easier too. If you get on the top ten, and then I don't have to put in a picture for you, um, so you don't <laughs> have to. I mean, it's kind of uh, if you don't, it'll just be a little you know taxi logo that goes in there. Um, I say, why not make a little cover for it? I mean, I get it. Maybe not everyone is graphically inclined, but a cool picture or something, it might make it look kind of fun and cool. Um, but yeah, definitely not necess totally necessary. But that's a case, I think, too, if you if we're asking for like photos and bios, um, like for the pitch itself, say it's for an artist pitch or something. Um, that would be a good place to put another picture is, you know, as the album cover or song cover. All right. Looking for another one. All right, are we out of questions? I uh, want to hear Bria's dog recite the alphabet. Oh, here's a here's, asleep now. Wow, good timing I there, know. Otis. <laughs> yeah, thanks a oh, lot. Here's one from Jur Shagan or Shagan. Um, how many submissions do you get on an average listing? Um, I've answered this a bunch of times before. Bria, do you want to answer it so I could see if your answer is roughly the same as mine? Yes, I will say that it depends on many <laughs> things. 
mostly it depends on the genre and what they're asking for. You know, if it's something where a lot of people do it, we're going to get a lot more submissions. So if it's, you know, sometimes if it's just like, you know, percussion instrumentals or drone instrumentals or say country or singer songwriter, we'll get a ton of submissions. And then if it's something that's a little more obscure, we'll get less. Um, so it really depends on the opportunity. There's not really an average number because it would be a weird average number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like, um, you know, klezmer death metal is probably going to get like three or four submissions. Mm -hmm. And, and Bria's right. Uh, probably the highest number of submissions that we get would be for percussion instrumentals because everybody feels that they can do a good job with that will get a lot. And I think uh, I've told this story a bunch of times that there are a lot of new people watching the show tonight that uh, are in different time zones. So I want to retell this story for you, which is we had a, a percussion instrumental. It could have been like drumline or any kind of percussion instrumental listing. I think it was probably two years ago, pre-COVID. You know, that's how we that's how we give time references <laughs> now. Pre-COVID? Well, we're actually not at post-COVID yet, but you get the idea. Anyway, mid-COVID, uh, mid there you go. <laughs> we should brand those midcovid.com. Anyway, um, it's, I think, I want to say we got like 880 submissions or somewhere around there for that listing. And uh, I think, if memory serves correctly, about 40% of what was submitted got forwarded. So we had like 300 things forwarded and we're all just shaking our heads going there is not a library owner in the world that wants to get a disco list with 300 songs on it but we couldn't like go back and re-listen and you know start doing comparisons like well you know number 152 is better than number four it wouldn't be fair because that's not what we promised to do so what we did was we reached out to the library owner and said we got an inordinately high number of really good things that we're going to forward to you. It's going to be shocking. It's about 300. And we know that's a lot for you to listen to in one sitting. Um, would you like us to break it up maybe into groups of like 50 at a pop and send them to you every other day? Are you in a hurry to get these? No, not in a particular hurry. That sounds great. Send me 50 every other day. And we did that, so everybody came up a winner. All 300-ish people that should have been forwarded were in fact forwarded. The library owner got to hear 300 great tracks. So there you go. So there is no average. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes people have asked me, is there a percentage? Like, you know, uh, is there a typical percentage of what gets forwarded? Not mandated by us um, in any way, shape or form, but having owned the company now for just a smidge under 30 years. Um, don't hold me to this, but if I had to guesstimate a rough percentage, I would say 10 to 20, somewhere in that window. Um, again, it's very contingent on what the listing asks for. If it's percussion instrumentals, we know that a greater percentage of people of the material is going to get forwarded because more people can do a good job of making that. If it's um, big action orchestral tracks for trailers, not a lot of people can do that really well. So it might only be 2% of the people get yeah. forwarded. So trying to give you guys an estimated percent, 
can't really do it, but if I took out like the really low percent and the really high percent, the average is probably in that 10 to 20% window in the middle. Don't hold me that. Here's a question from Marion Laird. Do any submissions get listened to before the submission deadline? If not, does that create an issue when a lot of submissions come in with a short time to review? Bria, take it away. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of on the head with your question. Um, yeah, if there's a listing that's like really big, they'll probably start screening it a little early um, to get, you know, ahead. Because a lot of submissions do come in before the deadline. Um, so, so, yeah, I think when it's those bigger, uh, bigger submission loads, um, they will start a little early. All right, with that, we're actually just slightly past the 1130 mark uh, where I am. It's Betty by time for Michael. Um, Bria, thank you so much. It was actually Bria's idea to do the show on this topic today. And I just want to say thank you to Bria for not only having the idea, but doing a great job of writing the listings for the last couple of years, doing a great job in general. Um, much appreciated. I'm sure that the members appreciate it. Uh, Neil McTavish, I, I want to extend my thanks to you for um, procreating and making this young lady some, some number of years ago. I mean, without your hard work, Neil, she just would have never joined the staff. So thank you, Neil. <laughs> uh, we, we love Bria. She's been a great uh, addition to the staff. Um, so that's about it. Um, next week, I will be back in LA. Um, and I actually had an idea. For, oh, you know what I want to do for next week's show? Something we haven't done in a while, Bria, which is um, let's pick a listing and put the members in the A&R hot seat. We love, I think you guys love it, actually, um, where you guys get to judge the four, see if you can pick the forwards in return. So, uh, uh, Marion Laird, what's left of Hanukkah? Uh, not much, a bunch of candle wax on a piece of tinfoil that I'm looking at three feet away from me right now. <laughs> That's what's left of Hanukkah. <clears throat> I've got to say though, it's pretty special being in Israel. Um, the family and I drove over to Jerusalem, which is about an hour and 10 minutes away from where we are, and went to the Western Wall for the lighting of a giant menorah the other night. And I got to say, really, really, really special. Um, so that's it. Uh, A&R Hot Seat next Monday. I may be a little jet lag, but you guys are going to be doing all the hard work. Thanks again to Bria. Ooh, I forgot to highlight something here so that the music plays on the way out. All right. With that, we bid you a fond farewell from Louisville, Kentucky and Central Israel. Have a great night, you guys. See you next week. Bye-bye. And here comes Keith LeBrand doing a little solo work. <laughs> All right, we've heard enough of you.